Hello everyone, welcome to Nerd Unscripted, The Library Chronicles. Uh, this is your host, Tony Leidig. And before we dive into today's topic, I, I really felt like I wanted to uh, discuss some of the locations that I've been in these visions and downloads and dreams and such. Because I, it's not that the locations themselves are anything necessarily other than the fact that I keep returning to them. And uh, some locations I've been to over a dozen times during the course of several years. And uh, so there has to be something to it, right? At least you would think. Uh, and so that's what I thought I would talk about today. And I have a lot of material um, to go through. I don't know that I'm going to read all of these, but more, more like um, just use it as a foundation for, dis uh, for discussion because... Yeah, there's a lot of words. Um, but anyways, before we get into that, um, I mentioned before we went live, uh, before everyone was here, that my goal is to <clears throat> possibly wrap up this Library Chronicles um, foray uh, by the end of the year. And um, there's a couple of reasons for it, but I think that I can cover what I want to cover uh, between now and the end of the year. That gives us four or five more sessions. And um, I have a, a few things that I definitely want to cover and discuss. Uh, one is uh, one of the things that I've been doing is going through all the library downloads that I've been getting and um, categorizing them. Uh, starting to organize them now because right now the primary file that I have in Evernote is organized based on date and uh, it's a pretty unwieldy document because it's it's over 30,000 words um, but uh, basically a book <laughs> uh, but I've started organizing and reorganizing um, the information um, that is in the various dreams and visions and stuff. Um, another thing that I've been doing is starting to uh, go through them and interpret them from a position of novelization. Um, and in other words, uh, rewriting them into a more user-friendly, reader-friendly format. Um, and some of the initial um, experiments have turned out really well, so I'm encouraged by that. Um, I'm going to hopefully over the next couple of weeks start building a, an outline or a series of outlines to actually plot this content into a book or books. I have a feeling it'll be more than one. Um, but I'm still kind of weighing out how I want to approach the writing on it, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to teach these through Nerd Unscripted because um, I'm transcribing everything and uh, compiling it that way just for reference sake. Um, and so uh, next week, I think, we're going to talk about what I've titled uh, The Library Alien Connection. And um, one of the reasons why I want to look at this is that I have this recurring theme that has showed up in these um, dreams and visions over the course of several years 
uh, regarding to a black liquid. And I don't know at this point what that black liquid is. I'm hoping to find out in the next few days. Um, because that leads me to another discovery that I've made. I decided to, um, to do some tests of sorts. I mentioned a week or two ago about questions that I wanted to see if I could do a, a Q&A with the library rather than just kind of let the information download um, if to see if I could guide it without with as little of my own personal inflection and involvement as possible because I'm really cautious about um, filtering what I get and uh, still sometimes I find that it can be challenging to hear and type out some of this stuff because uh, some of it is controversial and so it's like I'm not writing that <laughs> and then it keeps coming back to me again and again and so I decided to test it a couple days ago over the weekend with something that would really put um, put it to the test so to speak and that was from a question that um, I received from somebody who's been interacting with this process with me I gave her access to um, to all of my uh, notes so she can watch me write in real time if she wants to. Um, actually, there's two people who have access to the library documents. And um, you might remember her. Um, it's uh, Natalie Collins, Lee Collins' wife, Kristen's best friend. Um, you might recall back when we were doing Nerd Unscripted the first time, um, I hosted her for the last episode of that particular run um, to talk about human design. And so uh, we've been not collaborating, but uh, having a lot of back and forth private discussions regarding how some of what's being shared is tying in with what she's seeing and hearing and all of that. And so she posed this question um, the other day, sent it to me. Uh, it came up in her quiet time, and so I put it to the uh, the library, so to speak, and that was regarding events that um, could be happening beginning in 2027. So we're talking about future events and what's leading up to those future events. So I figured that that question would be a really good test to see if um, to see what kind of interaction I would get, to see what kind of downloads that I would get. Um, and again, you know, just writing it out as purely as I can without trying to influence it. And um, the what I got was pretty insane. And I'm not going to share that today. I'll, I'll wait um, until, you know, a couple of weeks from now. Because it's it's subjective. I mean, if you get right down to it, I'm asking about future events um, and cycles, like um, cycles in time and those kinds of things, which is one of the things that came out was um, cycles. And uh, so, you know, is it prophecy? Don't know. You know, is it all make-believe? 
could be. Uh, you know, who knows? How do you, how do you know? You just don't until you know. And so um, I've started deliberately asking questions more and more about a really random variety of things just to see the kind of information that I get. There's no real way to quantify it necessarily, but um, it's part of this crazy process. I mean, it's just kind of weird. So, um, so I plan on, um, in the coming days and weeks, doing a lot more of that. Um, because, you know, it's all cool and everything to have these experiences and sometimes not so cool. Um, but the way I look at it, if we can't take this information, these, you know, library visions and all of that, and actually get something clear and useful out of them that can help and impact our lives in a positive way, then why do it? Uh, you know, if we can't get useful information out of it, then it's nothing more than, you know, a study in fiction. And it may be that anyway. I mean, who the hell knows? But, um, but anyway, so that's just kind of, you know me, you guys have been following me for a long time, most of you. So, you know, I'm an experimenter. I'm a researcher. And that's just how it is. You know, I, I'm unwilling to just take things at face value sometimes because if you don't have context to process that face value, quote unquote, then how do you even know? You know, so I'm coming at this from a perspective of spiritual exploration, yes, but also um, from a, um, scientific perspective as much as I can. All right. So that said, um, let's get into today's topic. So, uh, back in 1996, early 1997, is whenever I first started having um, any kind of vision experiences like this. And um, the very first uh, experience that I had, um, I had this thought come to me. I was still here at the house, um, the original part of the house. And um, I had this thought come to me that I was um, to be taught a new way to see. And I've talked some about that in the past, but that I was to learn a new way to see. And um, after I heard that phrase, there was a picture that flashed into my mind. And uh, my brain just immediately tried to figure out what it was. And it just seized up like I couldn't see it. It just locked down. And, uh, and so as a result, I didn't, I had no idea what it was I saw. I had no way of even figuring out what it was that I saw. But, um, over the following couple weeks, I was actually taught how to see in pieces, uh, so that eventually I was able to see those pieces piece by piece, um, and then kind of, um, mentally assemble it all together to see what the picture was. And, the picture that I was shown was of a gate. It was an open gate. Um, there was a, a flaming sword in the middle of it. 
there was a tree behind the gate that was really unusual looking, had all kinds of fruit and stuff like that. A lot of biblical contexts in that vision. Um, but what I didn't realize at the time was that it was the beginning of a very interesting journey into some locations that at first, you know, you know, whenever we have dreams, for instance, dreams especially more than like visions or vision experiences, uh, some of them can get really crazy and wacky, you know, and you can blame it on pizza. You can blame it on, you know, whatever you're watching on television before you went to bed. And those things certainly influence it. And of course, you can also give your subconscious assignments and those kinds of things. And I've been doing that more and more. I just got a solution to something today. I mean, it's what I'm finding is that the as I've been giving myself more to these downloads, which, by the way, I'm not special with these, all of you should be getting them because it's available to all of you, not just me. But anyway, so what I'm finding is, is the more I'm open to hearing this stuff, the more quickly I'm getting answers to stuff. So I can pose a question to my subconscious or whatever, and literally in a matter of minutes, ideas start coming to me that are just crazy, um, including today, um, which the thing that came to me today had nothing to do with the library or anything, although probably from the library, given that everything that exists is there. Um, but I had never really considered the possibility in the context that I lived in back in those days, which, you know, very much uh, charismatic Christian um, beliefs and all of that. I mean, that's how I was raised. I worked for a charismatic Christian publishing company at that time. So I was constantly surrounded by and interacting with the world's top leaders in those areas of study and belief and everything. So, um, so as a result, that was my context and, um, doesn't necessarily mean right or wrong. Um, you know, where I stand about right and wrong, but, um, a lot of my processing of what I saw was in that context. So, of course, if somebody you don't recognize appears to you in a dream or a vision and they're telling you stuff that is beyond your current understanding, then it's likely that person is Jesus or God or the Holy Spirit or whatever. And sure, maybe that's true. Maybe. Um, probably not. But again, that was the context. And so there's nothing wrong with that context that I'm not... You know, we're not talking about take backs or anything like that. It's not like that. It's just understanding that sometimes whenever we see something, actually not even sometimes, every time we see things, hear things, dream things, have visions, whatever, even experience things in life in real time, those experiences are always filtered through our own personal beliefs, our own personal biases, uh, so on and so forth. That's why you can have two different people see or witness or hear the exact same thing. And if you talk to them independently, sure, there's going to be some commonalities, but there's also going to be differences. 
the differences come from what filters they have in place, right? And so, as a result, it's important to keep that in mind. And uh, and I do my best to do that, but recognize recognizing that I have my own biases. I have my own filters, you know, and so that's going to happen. So, um, what I didn't understand at first in getting into these visions was that there were specific locations um, that... I would see and return to again and again. Now, obviously, at the time, whenever I first started having those experiences, I had no idea that that was even going to be the case. I'd never saw things like that before. Um, You know, and so given the fact that, you know, we're talking 25 years, you know, having 25 years worth of these experiences now, looking back, now I can see, oh, okay, yeah, that's why, you know, I got to know some of these locations really well. Um, and so we're going to talk about some of those. And by really well, what I mean by that is that I spent many, many experiences in some cases exploring those things, almost like a lucid dream where you can interact. And so some of those um, locations are as real to me as actual locations on this planet. Are they actually on this planet? Don't know. Um, But whenever I talk about some of these locations that we're going to get into, like the Dome City and the shoreline and caves and all of that, I can see them in my mind's eye right now as freshly and brightly as the first time I ever saw them. And in some cases, we're talking decades. Uh, And so I could describe them to you. I can see them to you. I don't need notes to reference. The only reason why I have notes is to reference timestamps, you know, to have a chronological order of when things happened. But what I saw, I can still see as clearly in my mind's eye as the day it happened 20, 25 years ago. And um, it's that's one of the reasons why I feel that it's worth paying attention to. Because think about it. If I'm having a dream, I'm having a vision, whatever, and I keep going back to a same location again and again, enough to where I can explore it, and describe it and see it there's more to it than just my overactive imagination you know what i mean so now all of a sudden the visions themselves are providing context to places are these places real can i go there deliberately is there a trigger that draws me back to those places and what's the purpose of me even going there you know i mean hell if i want to explore a cave i can drive down the road five miles you know i don't need to fly around somewhere in the middle of the damn night or when i'm having a vision or whatever and go visit some other cave like what's the purpose of even going there you know and so those are the kind of questions that i ask and think about And so, um, it all started with this gate vision. Um, Shortly after that, 
And by the way, um, some of these, there's a couple of the, the early experiences that I don't have exact dates on because I, there's one of my journals that is missing. And I think I know where it is now. I got an insight earlier, before, right before we went live. But I've been trying to find it because it has some of the other information in it that I've been searching for. Um, so the first vision happened uh, late 96, early 97. And then in mid-97 um, is whenever things really started taking off, so to speak, as far as locations. So um, the first experience that I had predated the first light um, vision that I had, which we'll get to that. <laughs> Chris says the lost journals. Yeah, seriously. Um, so uh, this experience is called the dome and I've referred to it before, but I'm going to go into it um, in more detail uh, just to provide context. Um, I sat on my, sat down on my couch to rest and listen to some music. It was a new inspirational violin CD, uh, which for those of you who might be interested in that, um, what that is, I can tell you because I looked it up. I couldn't remember the exact one. Let me get to the bottom of my other notes. So, um, the uh, the CD that I was listening to came out in 1997. It was called Songs from the River, Volume 1, by a violinist named Ruth Faisal. Um, really amazing music. Um, and so that's what I was listening to. I had put that on, was listening to it in headphones. Um, so uh, the moment I put my head back and closed my eyes, this is in the front room which now is our dining room, but back then was the living room. Um, I was in another place. There was a massive white dome-shaped structure. As I looked in front of the structure, a woman approached me and introduced herself as Ruth. I told her my name was Tony, and she responded with, Oh, I know who you are. I have something to show you. We walked through the doorway into a massive dome. As I looked around, I noticed motion toward the peak of the dome, at the time, it reminded me of angels circling. As Ruth led me... Now, the fact that the gal's name was Ruth and that I was listening to violin music by an artist named Ruth Faisal, it may not be coincidence at all, or it could be. Don't know. Um, let's see, where am I? As Ruth was leading me along the outside edge of the dome, one of my daughters came into her living room and started calling for me. I pulled out of the experience and responded to her, then put my head back down and closed my eyes. Ruth was still there in front of me. I apologized to her for the interruption. She told me that it was okay, that she understood what it was like to live in two worlds at the same time. We continued along the dome wall until we came to a doorway. She told me that I would find what I was looking for through the door. I opened the door and walked in. What I saw was unexpected. It appeared like I had stepped into a tunnel of sorts. It was dimly lit with lights strung along the ceiling. 
The tunnel wasn't large at all. The wall and ceiling were perhaps eight feet square, but long like a corridor. As I walked through the tunnel, I saw 3D shapes off to the side and in front of me. They were glowing and in a constant state of transformation. I couldn't make out what they were, though. After a short distance, I came to another door. I opened the door and walked through it. The doorway opened into another massive room similar in scale to the dome, but in this case, the room had typical walls covered completely with ornately covered uh, carved woods. Uh, it was beautiful. Across the room, there was a bright glowing light and a man standing there. He looked up and saw me and came running toward me. When he got close to me, he stopped running and slid on his feet until he stopped in front of me. It reminded me of Tom Cruise in Top Gun, where he slid into the hallway in his socks. The man looked at me and asked, Do you want to meet him? I had a sense that this man might have been Jesus. He certainly looked like how we portray Jesus today. I asked, See who? And he responded with, God. Of course, I responded, Yes. He led me over uh, toward this, for lack of a better way to describe it, throne. There was a stream, of, uh, stream flowing through it and lush plants everywhere. It reminded me of what life would look like. Um, and I have life in all caps. This is out of my early journal. Um, up higher above the stream, there was a brilliant white light. It was impossible to make out any distinctive details. The man said, go ahead, ask him anything you want. I glanced back over the door, uh, toward the doorway I had just emerged from, and then turned and asked, what were those spinning 3D objects I saw in the tunnel? Immediately, I came out of the experience. Um, I'm not sure what you mean by basil. Uh, margarine. Um, what makes this experience especially interesting is that when I got to work the next day, I wanted to share the experience with my coworker Nikki. She told me that she had had a weird dream and wanted, uh, and she wanted to share as well. As she began to share her dream, I realized that it sounded very familiar. She had the exact same experience I did, except in a dream. I was able to describe things before she described them. It kind of freaked her out a bit, actually. The only major difference with her experience compared to mine was that when she was in the tunnel, she could recognize what the 3D objects were. They were uh, statues in various stages of completion, works in progress. She felt they were, uh, represented specific people who were being shaped and refined by their experiences. Oh, um, oh, okay. Uh, it's, let me, uh, copy and paste the, uh, information for the CD into the chat area. And for those of you who are live, um, it's Ruth Fazel, F-A-Z-A-L. And actually... I have a whole note regarding this, so I'm just going to copy and paste the whole thing. 
Okay. So um, it was. It's the only time that I've had in this entire journey where someone else had the exact same experience that I did. Somebody that I was close to, where we could compare notes. It's only happened once, and that was toward the very beginning of this whole experience. And in hindsight, I think that's probably why it happened was if for no other reason, because we've never really been able to figure it out. And it's been a long time ago, um, 1997, I mean, you know, a long time ago. But in hindsight, I really believe that the reason why both Nikki and I had the, ex the same experience, and by the same, I mean exactly the same. She saw the same tunnel, the same dome, the same person, Ruth, the same big wood room, the same waterfall, live plants, all of that, like um, exactly the same. The only difference was her interpretation of the 3D objects, like I saw, she saw them as statues, as the only variation. So I think it was to confirm that this wasn't like an overactive imagination, that this was a legit something and we were both transported to the same place. Why? Other than confirming, you know? And so um, shortly after that experience is whenever I had the first light experience. And I've talked about that many times it's whenever I was standing on the shoreline and um, uh, was uh, told to look out and describe what I saw and I saw a city I can still see it as plain today as I could back then it looked like an island with a city on it and there was a lot of lights and everything it was like nighttime where we were and then um, this person, Jesus or otherwise, um, actually I've been told who that is. And maybe I'll get to that today, maybe not. Um, because I was told exactly who it was that was there, and it wasn't Jesus. Um, but this person, it was a man, um, put their hands over my eyes. And then removed them and said, now tell me what you see. And whenever I looked up and over at the city again, which the city was an assumption. That's what it looked like to me. Um, whenever I looked again, that's when the explosion of light hit me and um, knocked me out of that experience. Um, and I was unable to talk literally for two hours i couldn't speak i tried um, and eventually it kind of wore off and i was able to you know say a couple words and then eventually complete sentences after a few hours but um another thing that i realized with that experience is that that exact thing has been part of my learning process and every time my brain has been short-circuited that way it was always related to learning to see differently. And because um, it happened the very first time, not to the extent that it did this time, but still. Um, 
And so since then, like even recently, whenever I've gotten, you know, downloads of certain pictures and stuff, which I've called lucid visuals, um, there are times where I literally can't talk about them. I can't describe them at all. My brain's getting better at it, I've noticed, but, you know, you're talking about so much more data than what we normally have access to. Um, it's just challenging sometimes. And like I've said multiple times, um, I don't know if I've ever said it in this context, but I have to a couple people. Sometimes I'm finding that language is very, very limiting because I can't ad adequately describe what I'm seeing. Language can't get me there to, to really fully describe what some of these pictures look like because there's so much more information. It's like, oh, well, there's a tree over there and there's a house and some grass. Like it, it goes so much deeper than that that it's really hard to describe. Um, and sometimes it just blows up my emotions and then I really can't talk. Um, so hopefully that won't happen today. So um, a few months after the first light experience, that really opened up a gate to me. Um, late 97 and into 98, it opened up a gate where it seemed like every time I closed my eyes, I was seeing stuff. Uh, a lot like now, I didn't realize it then that I had control over it. Um, but again, learning process, you know. So um, the next dated experience that I have written down is from October, October 28th of 1998. Um, I was walking down a hallway full of doors. And you'll, you'll see some themes here as we go through this. That's why I'm taking time to read some of these. I was walking down a hallway full of doors. They lined both sides of the hall and were also at the end of the hall. I knew I was supposed to choose one, but had no idea which one to choose because they all looked the same, except for their doorknobs. Very interesting point, as I've later discovered. I asked God how I was supposed to know which the right door uh which the right door was to choose. He said that I was to pick the one with the crystal doorknob. I walked down the hall and I found that door. It was the third door from the end of the hall on the right side. Don't know why it was there. Like why that was the one. Um although in the context of later experiences, that could be interesting. Um, I opened the door and went in. I walked into a lush, beautiful field. I noticed that when I closed the door, the door disappeared. The field was awesome. There was a stream that flowed through it and it crossed. It was crossed by a stone bridge. The bridge was like a three-tier bridge in that it had three passageways for the water to flow under it. I walked over the bridge and into the next field, and um, I saw a person standing there. They were holding the crystal that was on the doorknob in both hands, uh, and they were holding it up in uh, toward the heavens. It was refracting light 
into colors all around. And I asked God what it all meant. He said that the crystal was the vision that he gave me, and I assume referring to the first light vision experience. Um, it was a vision. It was the vision that opened the door. The door was not the vision. And uh, so, again, hindsight being what it is, <laughs> I'm just refusing to say hindsight being 2020 anymore. Um, but uh, this year ruined that for me. Uh, but in reality, um, they were referring to vibration. That's what I've come to realize. Um, by standing there and holding the crystal up to heaven, it showed that um, this person was submitting to the vision <coughs> and that the field was uh, that we were standing in was my field. I've since come to conclude that the person who was there holding that crystal up was me. Like that's who I was talking to, like uh, the complete version of Tony. That So I was having a conversation with myself. I was kind of looking into the future or outside of time, if you will. And so that's who this person was, was actually me. So I was kind of outsider looking at a bigger experience. Um, and so uh, a lot of the uh, visuals that were associated in this uh, particular experience back in 1998 have repeated themselves even more recently as this year. Um, let's see. Actually, I want to look at a couple comments here before we move on. Uh, William asks, uh, what do you think the significance is of your being knocked out of the visions, dreams, and experiences? Um, it's, it's hard to say really, because within those experiences, I mean, in a manner of speaking, you're transported into another place. And so as long as you're yielding to that experience, uh, the flow part of it is easy. But um, I think for me, whenever my conscious mind tries to figure it out, like what's going on here? You know, like what happened whenever um, I had the very first vision like, oh, what's that? You know, I mean, it really felt like that. Like my brain saw this thing and said, what's this? And then, you know, whenever my daughter uh, started tapping on my leg, whenever I was at the dome, you know, that brought me out into consciousness again. Um, whenever I had the first light experience, it knocked me out of that experience because it was too overwhelming in my brain again like what's this you know so i think what's knocking me out of those experiences is my conscious mind 
And so it's been more, if anything, a lesson of learning how to keep that out of the way so that I can go deeper and plug into, you know, other frequencies or vibrations or whatever. Um, let's see. I think we'll skip this one for a while. Okay, so the next one here is really interesting. Um, this was 1228-1998. I found myself on a train. It was an old-fashioned train car like the ones they have in Strasbourg, PA. Uh, toward the front of the car sat a woman dressed in a light blue Victorian dress with a matching wide-brim hat. I walked up to her and sat down across from her. I asked her what was going on, and she said, there's a man ahead of us who has his truck stuck on the railroad tracks, and if he doesn't move, the train will hit the truck, killing the man, destroying the truck, and derailing the train. So I immediately prayed, uh, asking God to intervene on behalf of the man and to send him help. Then I was transported to where the man was. God help him! Okay, you go. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of like that. Uh, you're raising your hand, you get to go. Um... So I was transported to where the man was. He was trying to push his truck off the tracks and couldn't. Suddenly, two men walked up out of nowhere and asked him if he needed help. He said yes, that a train was coming and his truck was stuck. So the three of them easily pushed the truck off of the tracks and down the incline just as the train went by. Suddenly, I'm back in the train car with the woman. She said, if you hadn't prayed instantly, the man would have been killed. Five minutes would have been too long to wait. Then she said, oh good, we're coming, to, we're coming around the bend. That means we're on the right track. I asked her where we were headed. She told me that I would see shortly. The train slowed down and as it pulled into a long section of straight track, <clears throat> as it pulled into a long section of straight track, to the left of the track was an ocean and a beach. Turns out it was the same ocean and beach that I had been to before. Um, I also noticed something. Uh, I noticed that there were other passenger trains in front of us. I also noticed something very strange. The ocean was perfectly still. There were no waves, which is exactly how it was whenever I had seen the city, the island city. Um... Suddenly, I saw people from all the trains throwing hundreds and thousands of books into the ocean. I couldn't believe that they would waste so many books. Um, they were all types of books. Then a strong wind suddenly, a strong wind started blowing up across the still ocean, and waves started to form and crash onto the beach. In the waves were people. As the waves crashed, people were washing up onto the beach. They would slowly get up, then make their way to the passenger trains and get into the cars. So that's kind of weird. Um, and so again, you're going to notice certain themes um, like that. A couple days later, I was standing at the entrance to a tower. The doorway and everything was the same as the first time I was there. Because I've been to that tower multiple times. Another one of those locations. Um, come to find out it was like a lighthouse that was setting up on top of the hill below which, like it was on rocks and the caves that I explored were below the lighthouse. 
don't know why necessarily it was there, but anyway. Um, the doorway and everything was the same as first time. Uh, this time, however, I noticed a sign hanging on the wall to my right. I walked over to it to see what it said and noticed that it was an arrow pointing uh, upward at an angle. Uh, when I looked to see where it was pointing, I saw a set of stairs and went along that went along the outside of the tower. I hadn't seen them the first time, but I wasn't looking for them either. I walked up the stairs. They went up and around the tower. As I approached the top, I noticed a glow coming from it. When I got to the top, I saw where the glow was coming from. Um, the glow, now again, context. Uh, the glow was Jesus. He was standing right there. He said, I am the head. And I said, I know you are. Then he said, no, I am the head. And then I got what he was saying. We were at the top of the tower and he was the head of it. I suddenly saw the tower as the body of Christ as the head, uh, with Christ as the head. Uh, the location of the rooms where the books were located corresponded to where the belly would be. So in the previous vision, which I have written down, but in the other journal, um, this tower, lighthouse, whatever you want to call it, was full of books. Sound familiar? Like library, maybe? It was just portrayed in a different way. Um, uh, out of your belly. Um, let's see, where the belly would be, and then the phrase, out of your belly, which is a reference to a, a scripture verse that says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Okay. Uh, then I saw the tower from the outside. It was illuminated with a gold light coming down from the top. Uh, all of a sudden I saw oil pour over the whole tower, starting from the top and running down to cover the entire tower. So <clears throat> one thing, again, recurring, um, recurring themes in these places that I go, um, there's always attention to light, to um, books, in many cases to doors, um, which is very interesting. And then uh, beginning in 1999, in January, I was walking on the beach. It was the same beach as in the train vision, um, and the same beach as in the first light vision. Uh, there were no trains there, and the beach was empty except for a homeless man who was bundled up and sitting on the bench. We walked over to him. There was somebody else there with me um, and talked with him and then walked away. Uh, we began to walk up onto a boardwalk where the tracks were. Uh, along the boardwalk were dozens of buildings. They were all closed. I asked the person there with me, uh what they were and why they were closed. He said that uh, they were to take care of the needs of people, but they were closed because it was winter. I asked what the boardwalk was. He said that it represented um, promises that were made. Uh, then we walked back to the beach and he said, watch this. And he threw a Bible into the ocean. Immediately, several people washed up onto the beach. I'd say there were six to eight of them. Then he told me that there was a better way. He put his hands up to his mouth and yelled, let the sea give up her dead. Instantly, 
The ocean started bubbling and churning like boiling water, and millions of people started washing up on the beach. Some were walking passes to the boardwalk, some were staying on the beach and laying down. People were everywhere, and the person with me was laughing. <laughs> Whenever I saw... So weird to read these. Um, when I saw the people laying on the beach, I got a bit indignant. I asked the person what they were doing. He told me they were basking in the sun. I felt stupid and apologized for my attitude. Then he walked back to the boardwalk. Now all the stores were open. Some were first aid stations, some were restaurants, some were bookstores. Uh, there were all kinds. It really reminded me of the beach in the summertime, but I knew there was much more to it than that. So, um, just an ongoing process. Some of this I still don't have a lot of clarity on what some of it could refer to or mean or whatever. Um, so I'm just sharing it as is. Uh, a couple weeks after that, this is uh, January 20, 1999, I was standing in the cave where I had been many times. It was where I had been led to months ago. Um, as I stood there, I heard the sound of rushing water thundering through the cave where I stood. Um, whenever you walk into the cave entrance, there was this um, really interesting bowl of sorts, for lack of a better way of, of describing it. It was like a like an indent into rock that was shaped like a bowl. And in the bowl was this water, but it it looked like milk. Uh, it wasn't milk, but it looked like milk, and it glowed, almost like it was being lit from above. It kind of looked like that. Um, and so this rushing water that I heard, um, which uh, ultimately is where this uh, waterfall was, was like a... Like from where the bowl was, there was a, basically there was a doorway that went in, uh, in both directions, left and right. So I had walked toward the right uh, into another chamber, and it was in that chamber where I heard this waterfall. Okay. So just kind of, that's a little bit about, you know, the layout of the cave from other visions that I don't have currently written down because they're in the journal, the lost journal, as Chris said. So anyway, um, let's see, where was I? I set out to discover the source of the sound and soon discovered a waterfall. It was flowing down through a hole in the ceiling and exiting through a hole in the floor. There was a rock wall behind it uh, when I looked up at the hole in the ceiling, a brilliant light was flooding down into the cave with the water, which is very similar to what I saw with the bowl full of milk-looking water. Um, and it says, I knew that the water was coming from the throne of God. So that was what I concluded at that time. When I looked to the hole in the floor, I couldn't see where the water was flowing, but I had a building sense that I was to jump into the waterfall and go down through the hole in the floor. Um, except there was no way I was going to do that. <laughs> I was absolutely scared to. 
the longer I stood there, the stronger the feeling got. Suddenly, um, uh, a person appeared and said, I've come to help you jump. I told him I didn't want to jump, and he assured me it would be okay. He took my hand and said we would jump on the count of three. Uh, one, I don't want to do this. Two, I can't do this. Three, <laughs> we jumped down into the hole with our backs to the fall. After the initial jump, there was no sense of falling. It actually seemed to be more like being weightless, and I realized that I was underwater. There was never a sense of hitting anything, and I was having no trouble breathing. I noticed, though, that there was a brightness ahead of me, and I was heading toward it slowly and face forward. As I approached the edge of the brightness, I broke the plane of water and realized that somehow I wasn't moving forward but upward. Uh, when I stood up and walked out of the water and onto the beach of what appeared to be a beautiful island back across the sea, I saw um, the city uh, that I'd seen before. So basically, like I can still see this experience very clearly. Whenever we jumped into the waterfall through the floor, we were going down, quote unquote, down. Eventually, after I went down a ways, I saw this bright light in front of me. So think about it. I've gone down. The bright light is in front of me. I went toward the bright light, and all of a sudden, I emerged out of the water. Physically, that's impossible. Okay. <laughs> so, very, very weird experience. Um, the entrance to the cave that I was in where the waterfall was, was back from this beach that I keep talking about. And so whenever I went down through the floor of the cave and then emerged straight up, somehow it was like a, I don't know, some kind of weird loop or something. And I ended up back on the beach that was out from where the cave entrance was. So very weird experience. I'm not even sure why, necessarily, 20 years later, don't know. Um, but, again, the same location again and again. Um, the next day, I was standing on the beach again that I had ended up on the day before. As I stood there looking out at the city, I felt disconnected and alone. I heard God speak to me, step out into the water. When I did, I walked right out on top of the water, and God said I wasn't separated from the city. I could come there anytime. So what I ultimately realized this year is that the city, like at the time, I thought that the city was like heaven, like the city of heaven. Um, in hindsight, what I believe now is that the city was actually the library. And that this context of me being on this beach and going through caves and water and all that kind of stuff uh, had uh, more to do with how to connect to the library. But at the time, you know, you work with the context of where you are. Um, and so um, I was told that I wasn't separated from the city. 
slash library and I could come uh, I could come there anytime. Uh, content with this, I walked back to the beach. The only sound I could hear was the waves crashing. As I listened to them, I noticed something. There were words. Uh, I don't understand what I wrote there. There were words uh, in the crashing. The words being made in the crashing of the waves. As I listened closer, I realized that the waves were singing. Um, I was shocked to hear that they were singing, but um, the action of the waves crashing was the sea uh, falling before God or wa worshiping God. That's the conclusion that I came to. Um, the sudden insights were overwhelming um, as I continued to ponder them. And so um, another recurring theme that I realized, and we're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks, is the role of music and um, light in um, interacting in some of these environments. Because what I found is that, like I've had experiences where you could hear the rocks and the trees and everything else sing where, um, you know, vibrational frequencies of people in a group have a very unique sound. Um, also, walking through, like, nature or your house or whatever the case may be, one of the experiences I had just a couple of weeks ago was um, going, like, just walking through, and all of a sudden I noticed where, uh, as I walked through, it was like... Um, like I, I, for lack of a better way to, of describing it, you've probably all seen marbled paper before, right? I don't know if you've ever made it or not, but like marbled paper, whenever you make it, it's basically, you know, ink sitting on top of water. And so if you drag like a pencil through it or a rake, they call them sometimes, uh, through it, um, the ink is still there, but it's affected by the dragging of the pencil. And so you end up with these swirled points. And so uh, one of the things that I saw was that as I walked through, all of this color, this mix of colors was all around me. And me walking through it was very similar in appearance to how you make marble paper. And so there were all of these color swirls. Like as I walked by a tree, my colors were interacting with the tree's colors. You could call it auras or whatever you want to call it. Um, and as a result, my interaction with the world around me was creating swirls of color, um, which was very interesting. And so these uh, color swirls show up again and again. These songs show up again and again. Um, and of course, it's all frequency, right? All frequency and vibration. So it's very curious to me. All right. Um, fast forward a couple of years to October of 2001. Uh, during a time of prayer, I had a vision experience where I was standing with God. I recognized the place we were from having been there previously. I was aware that I was wearing sunglasses. Um, I was told to close my eyes, saying that they wanted to give me a new pair of sunglasses to see with. 
the brightness would be too much for my eyes to bear without them. So I closed my eyes and the sunglasses were replaced. Uh, when I opened my eyes, things were much brighter and more detailed than before. Uh, when I looked down at my old glasses, I noticed that they were very dark, almost black. Before me were beautiful hills and trees, mountains and streams. Before, with my old sunglasses, I could only see a hazy mist. I was told that I was being taken to the next level of seeing. There, uh, things would be much clearer and brighter. Um, I was told that I would be able to hear better as well and understand more. Um, and then I put a note. Uh, at that time, a lot of the glow um, I referred to as the glory of the Lord because that's where I was. Um, but that the glory was is not just glow. There's information in it. Um, there's sound in it and so on. So vibration and frequency. Um, kind of like how a laser beam can carry information through fiber optic lines. Um, when we turn from the glory, it fades like it did in the face of Moses. So we have to stand facing it continuously um, to be changed. And then later that day, uh, let me see if this one has... Yeah, that don't have any context to what we're talking about right now. So I won't read that one. But anyway, so again, recurring theme. Um, changing the way I see things. So in a sense, you could say that some of these are kind of like my journey from not being able to see anything to getting what I get today um, and how the process really took place. Um... So then I have a journal entry from uh, January 2002 where it's just me kind of thinking through things. Um, and I forgot I even had written this in the light of what the downloads that I've been getting this year, this fall. Uh, it's very curious to me. Um, what if for one day, and think about this, you know, this is something uh, that could be fun for you all to think about. What if for one day, 24 hours, our senses were open fully so that we could be immersed, unhindered, into the realm of the Spirit? What would it look like? What would we see? How would other people appear? How would you appear? Would you appear older or younger there? Would there be buildings and structures? And if so, would they correspond to building and structures in the natural realm? Uh answer yes and yes and no <laughs> what would the landscape look like is it organic like the natural realm or not would sound exist there what about music what form does communication take there how would colors appear is there weather and other phenomena that take place there what about animals? Are there things we've never seen before? What does the sky look like there? Is there night and day? Does time exist? Is there a smell to things in the spirit? Uh, can you see sound and hear light? Do the laws of physics work there? Are there other laws that would affect us here? What about clothes? How would it affect us? How would it change us in how we live life afterwards? So, 
that was obviously me trying to figure out what the heck has been going on, you know. And I kind of feel like I have uh, answers to most of those questions now. Um, just from later experiences. But at that time, I didn't know. You know, it's a learning process. Um, and then a couple years later, 2004, uh, during a time of meditation, I was uh, told that back when I had uh, the first light vision experience, I'd actually not lost the information and understanding that came in the light. The problem was that I didn't have the tools to process it. I was told that everything I saw was still a part of me and it was imprinted on my mind in complete form. As I struggled with processing the implications of what was being said, I was reminded of my first vision experience where I saw the gate. I was told that even as I had to learn to see back then, I was still being taught how to see, and this was the next step in that journey. I was told that the gate I saw back in my first vision uh, was the gate now opening to me, the gateway to the secrets of the universe. So, um, it's interesting to read all of this stuff now from this position in 2020, given that from the gate experience to this vision here that I just read, you're talking about seven years. Um, actually, a little more than that. Eight or nine years. And so... It's easy for us to read all of these and take a look at them and say, oh, cool, there's similarities and things or dots are being connected and all of that. But at the time, I didn't know, right? We're looking backwards 20 years. And so um, at the time, I didn't know what on earth was going on. I was still trying to, you know, figure out whether I was insane or not. Um, and so... Fast forward now to uh, 2020, back in um, August, is whenever I had the first new library uh, experience. And this is all that I wrote then. Um, it's At the time, it's all that I could write because a lot of it was visual. And every time I tried to describe it, I couldn't. I'd start crying. Um, so I literally couldn't talk. I tried half a dozen times to talk about it, and I couldn't. Um, there is a library, uh, and it is stored all knowledge, every book, every work of art, every dream, everything that defines man, past, present, and future. Our dreams, visions, prophecies originate in the library. Archetypes and symbols originate in the library. Everything that will ever exist originates in the library. Everyone has basic access to the library, but a few have more access, and fewer still can access it at will. Now, mind you, we access it every day. All of us do. Um, call it a hive mind or collective mind or whatever you want, but we all have access to it. Um, I thought this was interesting. Uh, there is a group of men and women who are attempting to hack the library. 
in order to control its secrets, but there are also heroes whose origins lie within the library itself to counter the attacks and elevate humanity to uh, its next level of awareness. Um, the vi my visions of the dome were part, uh, part of the library access, same with the beach visions, the library visits, the vision, mountain experiences, and more. So this whole thing of the people trying to hack the library to control its secrets, uh, all of that, I've gotten insights into what all that means just within the last couple of weeks. But we're not going to discuss that today. It's it's heavy. I mean, just really heavy. And in, it involves uh, current events uh, to a certain extent as well. So we're not going to discuss that. Um, in September, I revisited the Dome. I thought I might see Ruth again for my first visit. Instead, I was greeted by Autumn, a young blonde woman. Her hair was almost white, which I talked about her um, in uh, the one PDF that I sent out a little while back uh, that I illustrated with the AI software. Um, Autumn informed me that the dome structure was only one of many, and she said that I began to rise above the dome, because uh, I did, I went straight up in the air. Um, I began to rise above the dome like an ascending drone higher and higher to where I saw hundreds. Now that happened after she said that there was only one dome. Um, and the dome, um, there were hundreds, if not thousands of domes to the point where they eventually looked like cells. Um, then suddenly I was back on the ground in front of autumn. As we walked around briefly, I kept hearing music, but wasn't sure where it was coming from. As I pondered it, I suddenly knew that the air was pregnant with potential vibration that when interacting with me as I walked, I was creating the music. In other words, the music I heard was unique to me because I was, uh, it was being created as an interaction to my own frequencies and vibrations. Another fact that was shared concerning the library was regarding every person who has ever lived. I was told that every thought, experience, emotion, and word shared by every person ever is contained in and accessible to the library. So that was another instance of me interacting, just like what I shared a little earlier about walking around in the color swirls. The exact same thing is happening with music. And um, so, very interesting experience. Uh, Chris says, how often do you reread these notes and try to decipher, decipher past meanings for today? Um, I ha haven't a lot, actually, and just, just until the last few days. Uh, some of these I haven't read since I posted them into this document or typed them out from my journals. Some of them I had already typed out years ago um, in the Word documents. I actually had to go back in the old, you know, CD archives that I had from years and years ago to find some of these. Um, but I've just recently started going back to uh, look at them again within the context of what's been happening lately. Um, so... 
September 28th of this year, I asked whether the places I saw and experienced in dreams and visions like the beach and the cave areas and the dome-shaped structures were part of the library. I was told that everything is connected. I was also told that they were basic constructs used to provide context and a frame of reference. I was given the example uh, uh, from the movie Contact, where Jodie Foster's character travels to the beach and talks with her dad. Um, I expected the voice, meaning the whoever was talking to me, um, I expected the voice to use the phrase alien when referring to the dead character, but it didn't. It said life form. Uh, I found that very interesting. So uh, what I was told was that uh, a lot of these locations that I'm traveling to um, are very similar to, like if you saw the movie Contact, uh, when Jodie Foster uh, went uh, through the time machine, you know, the big spinning thing, uh, all of a sudden she was on a beach, right? Very interesting, actually. And she saw her dad. At first, she couldn't tell that it was her dad, but then ultimately it was her dad. But it wasn't um, actually her dad. It was a life form that was talking with her through the form of her father so that she had some context to communicate. In reality, in the context of the movie, it was aliens. So I found that all very interesting. Um and then, uh, let's see, a couple of days later, um, I was told um, the sections of the library that aren't matched to your vibration are invisible to you. You're completely unaware of them. You can become aware at certain levels briefly through spikes in your vibration, through reading books, listening to teachers, meditation, prayer, etc. But to inhabit those areas of the library, you must live at those vibrational levels consistently. And I said, so kind of like levels of a video game. And they said, yes, that would be a good analogy. Game theory is simply an echo of what is truly available to all mankind, a mirror reflection of the library, except that the library isn't a place to conquer and pillage. It's a place to live. No one can pillage the library since all those types of attitudes are lower vibration. They would never gain access to the good stuff themselves, only through illegitimate access using the results of the ascension of others. Reverse engineering alien technology would be an example. Suppressing certain inventions, health cures, or free energy would also be examples, but anyone can Access those same inventions or cures because the library is available to all. The only requisite is the correct corresponding vibration. That's a really big deal. <coughs> and then let's see. A couple of weeks later after that, so this is uh, October 13th of this year. They said, uh, over the years, you have traveled to many locations in your dreams and visions. One of the things you have contemplated is whether or not those locations are real. They seemed real to you at the time and still later. 
and years later remember them as real places you visited. Yet your intellect says those places cannot be real, at least to travel to physically whenever you want. Now remember, um, I was just told a couple of weeks earlier that it was um, uh, like a frame of reference, a context. Um, so let's see. Uh, your intellect says those places cannot be real, at least to travel to physically whenever you want. However, your definitions of what is real needs to be upgraded. Real has nothing to do with your interactions using your five physical senses. Yes, in the most basic sense, the world around you is real from the con uh, context of fourth dimensional space, 3D plus time. But your mind is much more powerful than the few bits of data that your conscious mind says is real. That is just the factory default setting. <laughs> Um, when you were exploring the shoreline, the ocean, the cave, and your visions years ago, did the water seem wet, the rocks hard, or the cave dimly lit? And I said, very much so. When you visited the domes, did the people there appear real to you? Were the conversations with Ruth and Autumn real? And I said, they certainly seemed that way in the moment. And they responded, let's ask you a different way. Do you believe that Ruth and Autumn are real people who exist somewhere? Do you believe that the cave and shoreline and the dome city exists somewhere? This is them asking me. Um, I said, uh, yes. I have only spoken with Ruth and Autumn once and have traveled to each location only a few times. But yes, to me, they exist. And they said, so then, you don't believe they were the product of your imagination? And I said, no, because if they were, there's no way Nikki would have been able to travel to the same dome city I did and meet Ruth as well, yet she did. So that's why I believe that way back in the beginning, 25 years ago, that that happened that way, was to give me a proof context that this wasn't just you know, me eating the wrong foods before bed. Um, so they said, what if we told you that there are countless locations accessible by humans and populated by millions of people? Many people have lived their life believing in a place they would visit when they died. Heaven, hell, Valhalla, etc. The afterlife. It's both different and the same for many religions and cultures, and it is easy to believe that you travel somewhere else because you are no longer on planet Earth. You are dead. So, as you are told, you must go somewhere else because your spirit lives on. It is eternal. The belief in those places embraced by millions is built upon logic and a construct that is supported by the tenets of their faith. That is why when Christians die, they are greeted by their loved ones in heaven. When Vikings died, they were greeted by their loved ones in the Great Hall. All those beliefs are real to those who believe it. So upon death, that belief guides them into their version of afterlife reality. But only for a time. They soon realize that there is much more to the afterlife.
Near-death experiences have revealed some of this already, but even then, uh, what has been shared has been limited due to the context of the person who experienced the near-death experience. And so I responded, are you saying that the afterlife places and people are no different than the places and people we see and visit in dreams and visions? And they responded, yes, that is exactly what we're saying. Human, human's concept of reality compared to the full expression of reality is like choosing one grain of sand from the Sahara Desert. All the other grains of sand are also reality, but your understanding is limited to that one grain you choose. Reality, which is not the best word to use, is limitless because it exists in flow. It is living. Reality is the library. And I asked, is there a better word to use for reality? And they said, you already know the word. Expression. Expression is multidimensional. Remember earlier you said expression is form. That is certainly true. But form is not limited to your idea of reality. Your reality exists in form as it does uh, everyone else's. But form doesn't just refer to the things you can currently see, hear, taste, touch, or smell right now here on planet Earth. Form encompasses all. Every dimension, every reality, every dream, every vision, every afterlife construct. In your current reality, if a hundred of you were to share your expression of a bridge, you would get a hundred different results, right? Some of the expressions might be drawings or paintings, while some could even be actual physical bridges. Is one bridge any less real than any other? In your context, no. But what about the bridge that spans a million light years to e easily travel from one galaxy to another? What about a bridge that transports you to the dome city in your visions? Those bridges are also real. Our point is that reality, expression, is much more vast than encompasses much more than you currently understand. And I said, I can accept that. A question keeps coming to mind, though, using the dome city, for example. Even though I traveled there twice in visions, what materials were the dome, the streets, and so on made of. And they said at the core of all expression is vibration that is true in your reality and it's true in all others. Thought is the builder, vibration is the material, and intention guides the expression. That statement right there you can take to the bank. Like, you want the secret of the universe? That sentence is it right there. Um, I'm not joking, either. Thought is the builder, vibration is the material, and intention guides the expression. That's huge. Um, so I said, uh, I've always seen myself as an explorer. Is it possible to travel to these expressions anytime deliberately to explore, discover, and learn? And they said, yes, humans have been doing that for millennia. So have other life forms. The only requisite is that you understand how to travel. The reason why it happens in dreams and visions is because logic and intellect 
is out of the way and your physical form is at rest, but you can train yourself to access that vibration at any time. You are, in effect, letting go of your current reality in favor of another. Another thing, your perception of time functions much differently in other dimensions and realities. It doesn't control experience. And I ask, what about uh, physically, physically traveling to some of these locations in other realities or dimensions? Like, I don't miss a beat. <laughs> you know, it's like, but, but, but what about this? Um, they said physical form is limited to traveling to locations expressed in three-dimensional form. That would include time travel, teleportation, or exploring other parts of the universe using portals, but only places constructed and expressed physically. There are infinite places that are expressed in other forms, dimensions, and vibrations. Those cannot be accessed in physical form, although it will be just as real to you. You cannot imagine all that exists in the library. Remember your favorite Bible verse. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think according to his power that is at work within us. Immeasurably, immeasurable more than all. What power is it that is at work within you? That power is life force, and the, uh, which is the conduit for the library. And then they said, we will share more about this again. And so this was one of those kind of big mind-blowing uh-huh kind of things. Because we were talking about, um, uh, well, kind of a lot of heavy stuff. Like, what is reality and everything. Uh, Marjorie, that... Uh, statement that I made, I'll copy and paste that into the chat area so that you can have it in case some of you want to write that down. So, um, there, there's a couple other um, downloads that I've gotten that are related to this. But we're in an hour and a half, so I don't think we're going to get to those today. Um, one thing that I will... I will share. Um, so one of the things that I learned fairly recent is, uh, actually, let me see if I can find. Actually, let me do a search that might help me. Um, what date is this? Okay. I think I'm go going to actually share one more thing. Because I feel like I'm supposed to.
it's a long one, so I'll just I'll just read through it. Um Okay, so I, I'm going to read this one yet because I feel like it applies. Um, I feel like I'm supposed to share it now. So this is from October 19th of this year. And I had asked the question, what are practical applications of accessing the library? Um, and they responded, every idea you could ever imagine exists in the library. Some of this is repeat. Um, that is where you access them. A consistent action we see comes when someone connects to an idea. Understand that, like a seed, an idea contains everything within it to make it a reality. Ideas are not vague notes about something that could work if you try hard enough. No. Ideas are complete forms. Think of it this way. An acorn is the seed of an oak tree. Within it is all the data necessary not only to create an oak tree, but replicate oak trees through the creation of more seeds. If you plant an acorn in the proper environment and provide it with the necessary care it needs, like water and sunlight, you will grow an oak tree. <coughs> However, if the acorn is not planted, it is impossible to grow an oak tree. We know this example seems rudimentary, but it applies perfectly to ideas. The primary reason why many ideas never come to fruition is because rather than plant and nourish ideas like the acorn, humans collect them like squirrels collect acorns. Ideas are not collectibles and they are not food. They are seeds. That's kind of a mouthful also. Um, and I said, uh, note, in my mind, I am seeing a connection between myself and an idea. It's like an umbilical cord that runs between me and the idea. Negativity, doubt, distraction, etc. cut the cord and breaks the feed, literally and figuratively. Then they continue. Uh, Every idea is also a connection to the library, and that connection feed comes through life force. If you're downloading a file from the internet and the power goes off before the download is complete, will that file be viable? No, because it's missing information. The same is true with idea downloads. Many catch a glimpse of an idea, you could call it a visual overview, and run with it thinking they have the whole idea. Do you gain all the knowledge contained in a book by only looking at its front and back cover? Not at all. Yet, that is what many do with ideas. They, wait, I think I'm reading the wrong one. Well, I'll just finish it. I am reading the wrong one, sorry. But apparently y'all need to hear it. So, um, uh, yet that is what many do with ideas. They have an incomplete seed with no or little order or blueprint. Examples exist everywhere in nature that show you this model. Seed Time and Harvest, for example, which I got a big download on Seed Time and Harvest just the other day that we'll get to at some point. Um, as a matter of fact, nature in all its elements is a user manual of sorts for the library and how it works. Humans claim 
the need to tame nature when in reality they should be nature's student. Nature predated humans and will continue long after humans. Um, now I gotta find what I was looking for before. Bear with me. This is it. Okay. Um, I'll just read this yet. Um, I asked, what are the best ways for anyone to access the library? And they responded, it's important to understand that everyone, all humans, not only access the library on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, but are inseparable from the library. You cannot... You can't not be a part of the library because the library is all that is. Your question would be presented better asked as how can humans access the library in ways beyond mere survival to access revolutionary ideas and technologies, technologies in all disciplines of study? And I said, yes, that. And they said, uh, the biggest hindrances that prevent humans from exploring the library in the ways you are intending can be defined simply belief, focus, and discipline. Belief that you have access to much more than you've ever dreamed is challenging for most because they are used to being told what to believe. You have been trained to believe and accept that life is the way it is based on religion, culture, social status, social status and politics in other words your ability to access the library in all its forms is prevented mostly because of your willing participation in power and control once you realize that your life is yours to control and stop freely giving away your power the more access you will have to the wonders contained in the library and i asked but wouldn't that essentially make you a social outcast? And they responded, when you control your own power, you make the rules as to how you interact with others. Deep down, humans desire that level of freedom, and so they are naturally drawn to it. Others are also threatened by it, especially if they are the ones losing the control. As you choose to believe in yourself and embrace who you truly are, and it's far beyond anything you have imagined, you will be the one who dictates who will allow you into their zone of influence. Focus is the next part of the connection process for accessing the library consistently. Many of your experiences are seen as disjointed and happenstance because you lack focus. Focus provides you with the ability to push past distraction to access the library in deeper, more meaningful ways. You can be immersed in a lively environment with distractions coming at you from all directions and still maintain perfect focus. That is the power of now, of stillness. 
as you learn to still and focus your mind at will, you can determine exactly what you give attention to. You sometimes refer to this level of focus as having a one-track mind, but it is much deeper than that. You also often say, be the job. Uh, That is controlled focus. You are in the zone. You see, humans are already aware of these mental technologies. You reference them all the time. But there is a huge difference between referencing and accessing, and your lack of access is often shut down due to discipline. When you combine deliberate belief and focus with discipline, you are unstoppable. That is when you step into your true self. You exist as a complete, powerful being with unimaginable power and ability. Who you are on earth is a pale reflection of who you are. You could say a version of your true self. The only thing preventing you from becoming more of the complete you is the discipline to believe the complete you exists and the focus to see the complete you. Remember that, uh, remember what we've shared before. You become what you behold. Remember, you, uh, we told you earlier that the person standing in front of you on the shoreline uh, in first light was you, the complete you. So there was the big revelation, one of the big revelations to me, that back when I first had that light experience, the first light experience, I assumed that the person standing there with me was Jesus. That was my context at the time. However, what I was told here is that it was actually me. It was the full version, full expression of me, my higher self, if you will. Um, You could refer to this as your higher self. Oh, they just said that. Um, But the reference is lacking. You are complete, and yes, you are still unique in that completeness. And I said, I wrote a note. I had a thought pop up about if we could still be different from others as our complete selves. They caught it before I could even ask. So they answered it before I even asked it, which they tend to do a lot. Um, So I asked, how do we start? And they said... You already have. Everyone already has everything they need within them to access and become the complete version of themselves. There are many anchor belief beliefs that must be dismantled for people to understand the context of who they truly are. Most humans are like the captives in Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Their captivity is based on shadows. It's illusionary. Their captivity is managed through fear at the hand of those who leverage the little control they have. Releasing fear opens eyes to shine a light on truth. Once people see the truth, their vibration attunes to that new reality and they shift to the next level of awareness. This is an ongoing process some refer to as enlightenment or ascension. These processes are often viewed as woo-woo or silly weirdness, but again, if someone in control does not want you to give up that control, or their control, they would skew the very beliefs and processes that would eliminate their ability to control. That is the battle of good versus evil, the battle for men's souls. It's not Jesus versus the devil. 
It's a battle over who controls who. You or someone else. You are not a slave race, but you act like one. That is why it's imperative that you embrace your complete you, and many are. And um, I have a side note that it occurred to me that uh, our complete you is reminiscent of Neo in The Matrix after he comes back to life and realizes who he really is. So, in essence, we have to die to who we think we are to become the full expression of who we are. Okay? So, pretty heady stuff. Uh, Definitely something to think about and probably listen to a couple times. So... Um, yeah, let me go down through the comments and questions here and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, Lori asks, how do you know what the vibration of something is? Um, it's a great question. Uh, something that I spend a lot of time researching. Um, I've been doing a lot of experiments with frequencies and vibrations and different things like that. Um, One thing that I can say, like even if you can't like dial in an exact frequency or or whatever, the more you embrace um, the, the positive aspects of who we are, our existence, like gratitude and love and kindness and those kinds of things, it automatically elevates our frequencies to get us to those higher levels where we want to be. The more we embrace stress and fear and anger and unforgiveness and those kinds of things, it lowers our vibration and we have no hope in hell of accessing that other stuff. That's why it's such a big deal to, to keep our thoughts and everything aligned with, um, like what the Bible says, you know, think on these things, whatsoever things are pure and honest and good report and all of that. Right. Um, we look at these as nice little scripture verses or, you know, good advice to live by or whatever. When in reality, what we're talking about is a level of technology that we don't understand as such. This is spiritual tech 101. Okay. We're talking about a form of technology here that, Like normally we think of technology as like the computer that I'm teaching from. And sure, within the context of physical objects, it is technology. But this is a completely different playing field, completely different type of technology that vastly um, outshines anything we can physically touch here right now. Um, I'll have to check that uh, guy resource out, Lori. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and William, I think I just answered this. Uh, he asked the question, has research determined that negativity has a lower vibration level than positivity? Uh, absolutely. Um, Kat says, uh, years ago I had the game 
battleship on my computer, I installed a bigger, stronger graphics card. And when I opened the game, it was amazing to see all the graphics in the game that did not appear there before. Yeah, that's a really cool analogy, actually. Um, she also says, uh, a good question for anyone to ask themselves is, what is my concept of the afterlife? Yeah. And I mean, I've asked that question before, like I've had visitations from like my grandmother and my dad. Um, it's been a while. Um, but like my grandmother, I, like I didn't physically see her. I mean, you know, she's been gone for years, but, um, I knew she was there. I could literally ask questions that she would answer. It was very interactive. And so um, this is probably 15 years ago, I guess, when this particular experience happened. Or no, uh, tw 12 years ago, actually. Um I was driving and I had a sense that my grandmother was with me in the car and she had a message for me to give to my mom that I didn't think that mom would respond very well given her upbringing and everything, but she actually did. Um, but uh, while I was interacting with my grandmother, um, I asked her if I could um, ask a question and she said, sure. Well, actually, she said, I reckon, because, you know, my grandmother, West Virginia and all. Um, and I asked her what it was like where she was. And she told me at that time um, that she couldn't tell me. And I said, oh, okay, I understand. And she's like, no, it's not that I don't want to tell you. It's that you have no frame of reference to understand it. No context to understand it. And then, like, it, it just kind of went off in my, my mind like a bomb. Like, boy, I need to figure out what context it is I need so that I can understand. And I really feel like a lot of these downloads are part of that process. Because I'm, I feel like I'm beginning to understand a little bit at least of what on earth is going on. Call it afterlife, call it whatever you want. <clears throat> I have a feeling that our conception of what afterlife really is, is nothing like it really is. Um, I'll see if I can find the, uh, the comment that you're asking about Marjorie. I'm just scrolling here real quick. You might just have to watch the replay because... I've shared a lot today.
Yeah, I'm not finding it. Oh, I already answered. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading these comments out of sequence. Uh, <laughs> Lori says, boy, is this message needed. Uh, can you shout it out to the world? Well, it's one of the reasons why I'm talking this out. Um, I've already, I already have a couple people saying, when are the books coming out? When are the books coming out? When are the books coming out? And I mean, I don't honestly feel like I'm done even, you know, getting some of these downloads. Uh, one thing I've learned is, uh, like some of the early ones this year came at a, a very specific period of time or point of time, 444. It's been a lot going on with me regarding numbers. Um, and I've been doing some serious investigation. Perhaps I'll share what I'm finding at some point. Uh, but uh, regarding numbers and frequency and stuff. But um, one of the things that I've discovered is that I'm not locked into being in front of my computer at 4.44 in the morning. Thank God. Um, literally, it's just a matter of uh, quieting myself and um listening asking a question and uh one thing that's been helping helping me recently uh in the uh facebook group the nerd unscripted facebook group i shared a couple audio uh things the other day and uh so like the youtube channel that i shared um i forget what it's called uh, meditative mind um they have uh, sounds there at specific frequencies. And so one of the things that I've started doing whenever I'm um, sitting down to write is turning on one of those videos at certain frequencies, um, usually the higher ones, and um, allowing those to kind of calm me down more quickly so that I can get into a place of hearing faster. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I don't need to do that. It's pleasant to listen to, frankly. But, um, I mean, I'm getting stuff while I'm driving and everything else, which is kind of dangerous because I tend to zone out. Um, but I've what I've really found is that if I stop and just push, you know, the world around me aside, I can get downloads anytime, day or night. And, uh, so one of my goals is to, it's one of the reasons why I've been kind of shifting some of my business stuff a little bit is to buy me more time to plug in. Um, but anyway, so books will be coming for sure. Um, Carol, uh, Carol, all the replays, uh, one through four are available now on SoundCloud. Um, and uh, I'll try to have today's uploaded. I don't know if I'll be able to get to it today because I have, you know, extra media show later. Um, but if not today, tomorrow. So that the replay for this one will be up there as well. Yeah, thank you, Kat. Um, she says the books will come out when the books are meant to come out. Yeah, exactly.
Um, yes, uh, Lori, I did. Um, I did get the first link you posted. Thank you. Uh, Marjorie says, have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family. Uh, thanks. I appreciate that. I'm not. <laughs> we're not having Thanksgiving until the Monday after Thanksgiving. Technically, we're not supposed to have people from other families in our house. Unless we wear masks and stay six feet apart. Not quite sure how that works with grandkiddos and eating turkey. Um, but in any state, uh, we're not getting together on Thanksgiving day, but I am going to get together with my girls, uh, after. So same to you all, uh, whatever that, I know you all live in different places. So, you know, rules are different, um, for each area. Not that I really pay too much attention to some of those rules. Um, you know, they're welcome to get a warrant and come into my house and arrest me for standing three feet away from my granddaughter instead of six. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. So if I want to have them over and have Turkey together with them, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, thank you all so much for bearing with me to our day. I kind of suspected that it was going to go longer. Um, but, um, yeah, it's been a very, very interesting experience. And uh, honestly, the more answers I get, the more questions I get. So, um, I kind of feel like even though I have a lot of really interesting insights and practical, uh, elements, there are some things that I just don't understand at all. Like what I think we're going to talk about next week, this, uh, black liquid. It keeps showing up in dreams and visions and everything else um, for 20 years now. So I need to find out what that is. Um, and so we're probably going to talk about that next week. And hopefully between now and then, I will have more insight than what I do now. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> so... Um, Kat says, you could go six hours and we'd all be here. My office is so dry, though, I don't think my throat could last that long. I need to get my humidifier going. <laughs> yeah, something like that, Chris. Yeah, common sense and a little caution for Thanksgiving. That's well put, Kat. And that's why, you know, I'm not going to see my mom ever the holiday or anything like that mom is 77 she's in good health but i want to keep her that way you know um so absolutely and Catherine kathleen says thanks for sharing you're welcome all right folks well thank you all very much um for those of you who follow expert media show I will see you again at 6 p.m. I haven't quite decided what we're going to talk about yet. There's a couple things that are swirling around in my thoughts. So we'll see. 
I've been experimenting with some new stuff, as you would imagine. Um, I don't know if I'll talk about that yet or not, because I'm still figuring some things out with it. But anyway, I guess we'll all find out when we get there at 6. So until then, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Um, if we don't get to interact anymore this week, um, enjoy your holiday and your time together with your immediate family, extended family, however that uh, works for you. And I appreciate all of you joining me here. Thank you very much. Um, and we'll talk again soon.